the primary objective of our time here. And that's what we've committed to is to read through the entire Bible. And for those of you who have been journeying with us, I hope you're beginning to see how much Bible you're able to get through simply committing 20 to 30 minutes a day to reading. Um, With 20 20 to 30 minutes a day, we've gone through the entire New Testament. Now we're at the tail end of Numbers, fam. Uh, We're at the tail end of Numbers. We're not going to finish Numbers today, but we're going to finish the book of Numbers tomorrow, probably, most likely. And so we're going to get into, after Numbers, it's Deuteronomy. So we've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and now we're reading through Numbers. And really, it's to show you that you can get through a lot of Scripture by simply committing 20 to 30 minutes a day. So that's really the primary objective. The secondary objective of our time is really just to spend time in encouragement for one another um, as we read the word. Uh, I believe that uh, our time and just reflecting, you guys are, you know, in a sense, eavesdropping into my time in the reflection of scripture. You're eavesdropping into uh, my discipline. And as I'm reading the scriptures every morning, I'm just asking to hear from God. And so I don't have anything really prepped. I'm just simply going to be talking the talk. I'm ranting today. I don't have anything prepped other than simply to hear what God has to say. So that's why I call it a rant, because I don't want you guys thinking it's a sermon or something and thinking I should have something really all prepared and thought out. I have nothing prepared and thought through. Simply hearing from God, just hearing what what is really sticking out to me in the text and sharing that with you. So uh, you guys are in my, my, my space right now. You're in my, you're in my space. You're in my space in my time in the Lord. But I love it because it's amazing to have people from all around the world. We got Belgium in the house. We have UK in the house. We have South Africa, Nigeria. We have people from all over the world, Australia in the house. We have Egypt, Belgium. I mean, guys, India, right? We've got people from all over the world coming together from all over the States coming together to Spend time in simultaneity in the reading of the word. So let's get right to it. Turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 25. Numbers 25. And I will be reading. You guys can read along with me. And uh, we'll probably conclude the reading time sometime around 830. Okay. So you guys have an idea of what we're here to do. And then we'll just talk through whatever the Lord is revealing to us. But um, I really want you guys and desire that you guys commit to just reading, okay? It's powerful to just read. Even if you don't understand everything you've read, even if it all sounds a little weird and confusing, just read it. Reading it alone is a powerful, powerful activity. Let's do it. Numbers 25. And it says this. Now Israel remained in the Acacia Grove and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman 
in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hands, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through. The man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel. Excuse me. Because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore, say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace and I and I and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Now, the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri the son of Salu, a leader of the father's house among the Simeonites. The name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zer. She was the head of the people of the father's house of Midian. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, harass the Midianites and attack them for they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby the daughter of a leader of Midian, their sister, who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. And it came to pass after the plague that the Lord spoke to Moses and Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying, take a census of all the congregation of Israel from 20 years old and above by their father's houses who are able to go to war in Israel. So Moses and Eliezer, the priest, spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho saying, take a census of the people from 20 years old and above, just as the Lord commanded Moses and the children of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt. Reuben was the firstborn of Israel. The children of Reuben were Hanak of the family of the Hanakites of Palu, the family of Palu, Paluites, Paluites, sorry, of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites, Carmi, the son, sorry, the family of the Carmites. These are the families of the Reubenites. Those who were numbered among them were 43,730. And the son of Pelu was Eliab. The son of Eliab was Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. These are the Dathan and Abiram, representatives of the congregation who contended against Moses in the company of Korah when they contended against the Lord. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men and they became a sign. Nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. The sons of Simeon, according to their families, were Nemuel, the family of the Nemuelites, of Jamin, the son of the Jaminites, of Jachin, the son of the Jachinites, of Zerah, the family of the Zerites, of Shaul, the, fa- the family of Shaulites. These are families of the Simeonites, 20,200. Sorry, 22,200. 
Verse 15, the sons of Gad, according to their families, were Zephon, the family of the Zephonites, and Haggai, the family of the Haggites, and of Shuni, the family of the Shunites, of Osni, the family of the Osnites, of Eri, the family of the Erites, of Arid, the family of the Eridites, of Arali, the, the family of the Aralites. These are the families of the sons of Gad, according to those who were numbered, who numbered of them, 40,000. 500. The sons of Judah were Ur and Onan, and Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Judah, according to their families, were Shelah, the family of the Shelanites, of Perez, the family of the Perizzites, of Zerah, the family of the Zerites, and the sons of Perez were of Hezron, the family of the Hezronites, of Hamul, the family of the Hamulites. These are the families of Judah, according to those who were numbered of them, 76,500. The sons of Issachar, according to their families, were of Tola, the family of the Tolaites, of Pua, the the family of the Punites, of Jeshub, the the family of the Jeshubites, of Shimron, the family of the Shimronites, these are the families of Issachar, according to those who were numbered of them, 64,300. The sons of Zebulun, according to the families, were of Sarid, the family of the Sardites, of Elon, the family of the Elonites, of Jalil, the family of the Jalilites. These are the families of the Zebulun, Zebulunites, according to those who were numbered of them, 60,000. 500. The sons of jo- Joseph, according to their families, by Manasseh and Ephraim, were the sons of Manasseh of Mikar, the family of the Mikarites, and Machir begot, and Mikar, sorry, uh, Makar begot Gilead, and Gilead, the family of the Gileadites, and these are the sons of Gilead, Jezer, the family of the Jezerites, of Helic, the family of the Helicites, of Azrael, the family of the Azraelites, of Shechem, the family of the Shechemites, of Shemida, the family of the Shemidites, of Hefer, the son, the family of the Heferites, of Zelophehad, this the son of Hefer, had no sons but daughters, and the names of the daughters were of Zelophehad were Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Zerza, and Terza, sorry. These are the families of Manasseh, and those who were numbered of them were 52,700. These are the sons of Ephraim, according to their families, of uh, Shethulah, the family of the Shethulahites, of Becker, the family of the Becherites, of Tahan, the family of the Tahanites, and these are the sons of Shethulah, of Aaron, the family of the Aaronites. These are families of the sons of Ephraim, according to those who were numbered of them, 32,500. These are the sons of Joseph, according to their families. The sons of Benjamin, according to their families, were of Bela, the family of the Belites, of Ashbel, the family of the Ashbelites, of Ahiram, the family of the Ahiramites, of Shufam, the family of the Shufamites, of Hufam, the family of the Hufamites, and the sons of Bela were Ard and Naaman. 
of Ar, the family of the Ardites, of Naaman, the family of the Naamites. These are the sons of Benjamin, according to their families. And those who were numbered of them were 45,600. These are the sons of Dan, according to their families, of Shuham, the family of the Shuhamites. These are the families of Dan, according to their families. All the families of the Shuhamites, according to those who were numbered of them, were 64,400. Give me one second here. It's saying there was poor connection. Hopefully it reconnects again. Let me know if we're still connected, okay? Um, verse 48. The sons of Naphtali, according to their families, were Jezeel, and according the family of the Jezelites, and Juni, the family of the Junites, and Jezer, the family of the Jezerites, of Shalim, the family of the Shalemites. These are the families of Naphtali, according to their families, and those who were numbered of them were 45,400. These are the these are those who were numbered of the children of Israel, 601,730. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, to these the land shall be divided as an inheritance according to their names. To a large tribe you shall give a large inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each shall be given in its inheritance according to those numbered of them, but the land shall be divided by lot. They shall inherit according to the names of the tribes of the fathers, according to the lot. The, according to the lot, their inheritance shall be divided between the larger and the smaller. And these are those who were numbered of the Levites, according to the families of Gershon, the family of the Gershonites, and Kohath, the family of the Kohathites, and Merari, the family of the Merarites. These are the families of the Levites, the family of the Libnites, the family of the Hebronites, the family of the Malites, the family of the Mushites, the family of the Korathites, and with Kohath, and Kohath, sorry, begot Amram. The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And Amram, she, and to Amram, she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. And Aaron was Sorry, to Aaron were born Nabib and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. Nabib and Abihu, they both were had offered profane fire before the Lord. Now those who were numbered of them were twenty three thousand, every male from a month old and above, for they were not numbered among the children of Israel, because there was no inheritance given to them among the children of Israel. These are those who were numbered by Moses and Eliezer, the priests who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. But among these, there were not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron, the priests, when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said to them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man of them except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Chapter 27. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these were their names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Terzah. 
And they stood before Moses, before Eliezer the priest, before the leaders of the congregation, by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those gathered together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but he died in his own sin and had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So Moses brought the case before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zehulaphat speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall cause, or he shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to a relative closest to him in his family, and he shall possess it. It shall be to the children of Israel a statute of judgment, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Numbers 27 verse 12. Now the Lord said to Moses, go up to Mount Abiram, and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you see it, you shall be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hallow me at the waters before your eyes. These were the, these were the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep, which have no shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun with you, a man who, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him that all the congregation of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, whom shall inquire before the Lord for him the judgment of Urim. At his word they shall go out and at his word they shall come in. He and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation, and he laid hands on him and inaugurated him, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Numbers 28. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my offerings, made by fire as a sweet aroma to me, you shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. Hmm. And you shall say to them, this is the offering made by fire, which you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs in their first year without blemish, day by day, as a regular burnt offering. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer in the evening. And one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with one-fourth of hen of pressed oil. 
as a regular aroma and offering made by fire to the Lord. Hmm. And his drink offering shall be one fourth of a hen for each lamb. In a holy place you shall pour out the drink to the Lord as an offering. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening as the morning grain offering and his drink offering. You shall offer it as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Verse nine. And on the Sabbath day, two lambs in their first year without blemish and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil with its drink offering. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath beside besides the regular burnt offering with its drink offering. At the beginning of your months, you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram and seven lambs in their first year without blemish three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil for each bull, two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil for one ram and one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering for each lamb as a burnt offering of sweet aroma an offering made by fire. The drink offering shall be half a hen of wine for a bull one-third of a hen for a ram, and one-fourth of a hen for a lamb. This is the burnt offering for each month throughout the months of the one year. As one kid of the goats, as the sin offering to the Lord shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. On the 14th day of the first month is the Passover of the Lord. On the 15th day of this month is the feast. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. On the first day, you shall have holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. And you shall present an offering made by fire as a burnt offering to the Lord. Two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year. Be sure they are without blemish. Their grain offering shall be of fine flour mixed with oil. Three-tenths of an ephah you shall offer for a bull and two-tenths for a ram. And you shall offer one-tenth of an ephah for each of the seven lambs. Also one goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. You shall offer these beside the burnt offering in the morning, which is for the regular burnt offering. In this manner, you shall offer the food of the offering made by fire daily for seven days as a sweet aroma to the Lord shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. And on the seventh day, you shall have holy convocation and do no customary work. Hmm. Also, on the day of the first fruits, you shall bring new grain offering to the Lord at your feast of weeks. You shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. You shall present a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord to young bulls. IG keeps shutting down. It says it's shutting down due to poor connection. Hopefully, I can keep it running. Um, verse 27. You shall present a burnt offering of sweet aroma to the Lord. Two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year with their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil. Three-tenths of an ephah for each bull, two-tenths for one ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs, also one kid of the goats, to make atonement for you. Be sure they are without blemish. You shall present them with their drink offerings besides the burnt, the regular burnt offerings with its grain 
offering. Chapter 29. Here I am thinking, hold on. Let's play this. Let's play this out right here. Uh, yeah, let's do 29. And then we'll stop at 29. And in the seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, you shall have holy convocation and do no customary work. For it is the day of blowing trumpets. You shall offer a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord. One young bull, one ram, seven rams in their first year without blemish. The grain offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering to make atonement for you. Besides the burnt offering with its grain offering for the new moon, to the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings according to their ordinance as a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you shall have holy convocation. You shall afflict your souls. You shall not do any work. You shall present the burnt offering to the Lord as a sweet aroma, one young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year. Be sure they are without blemish. The grain offering shall be of fine flour mixed with oil, three tenths of an ephah for the bull, two tenths of uh, sorry, two tenths for the one ram, and one tenth for each of the seven lambs, along with the one kid as a sin offering. Beside the sin offering for the atonement, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings. On the on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. And shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord. Thirteen young bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs in their first year. They shall be without blemish. The grain offering shall be of fine flour mixed with oil. Three tenths of an ephah for each of the thirteen bulls. Two tenths for each of the two rams and one tenth for each of the fourteen lambs. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, beside the burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the second day, present twelve young bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs in the first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number, according to the ordinance. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering, beside the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings. On the third day, present eleven bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number, according to the ordinance. Also, one goat as a sin offering, beside the regular, besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering and its drink offering. On the fourteenth day, present ten bulls, two rams, and fourteen lambs, in their first year without blemish and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering beside the regular burnt offering, its grain offering and its drink offering. On the fifth day, present nine bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs in the first year without blemish 
in their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs. By their, sorry, for the rams and for the lambs, by their number according to the ordinance. Also, one goat as a sin offering, beside the regular burnt offering, its grain offering and its drink offering. On the sixth day, present eight bulls, two rams, 14 lambs in the first year without blemish and their grain offering and their drink offering for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs by their number, according to the ordinance. Also, one goat as a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering and its drink offering. On the seventh day, present seven bulls, two rams and 14 lambs in the first year without blemish and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number, according to the ordinance. Also, one goat as a sin offering beside the regular burnt offering and its grain offering and its drink offering. On the eighth day, you shall have a sacred assembly. You shall do no customary work. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord, one bull, one ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the ram, and for the lambs by their number according to their ordinance. Also one goat as a sin offering beside the regular burnt offering, its grain offering and its drink offering. These you shall present to the Lord at your appointed feasts besides, besides your vowed offerings and your freewill offerings as your burnt offerings and your grain offerings as your drink offerings and your peace offerings. So Moses told the children of Israel everything, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Ah, <sighs> Just as the Lord commanded Moses. Father, we just ask that you would uh, speak through everything we just read. Lord, we, we want to hear from you today. And we ask that in your name we pray. Uh, amen. I want to first preface... Uh, my thoughts as we're reading today, I want to first preface by saying for those of you who are here for the first time and you're wondering, okay, what's this? Is this a Bible study? Is this a sermon? Is this a preaching? Is this a, a devotion? What is it exactly? This is the read and rant. And essentially what we do here is that we spend half an hour reading through the Bible, through the entire Bible. And then we spend another 20 to 30 minutes, another half an hour reflecting on the scriptures. And I think it's important that you know that because my primary objective is to do what we just did just now, which is read through scripture. We just read from numbers um, 25 through numbers 29. And that's the whole intention is to empower you because through reading the scriptures, it feeds you, it empowers you. It's the most important activity for every believer. But it's not just important for you to read through scripture and to have an intellectual understanding of the scripture. But it is important as a believer to be able to receive from God when you're reading the scripture. You should always open your Bible, get ready to hear from God. Let me say that again. Often when we read it, if we read it as, as an intellectual book, some kind of academic book, and you make Bible reading some kind of academic endeavor, it falls profoundly short for the purpose of the text itself. It's not meant to be um, um, simply academically understood. Okay, There are academicians who understand the word, 
who understand this Bible, who know a lot about it and know probably a lot more than a lot of us know about it. And yet they do not know God. Okay. They do not know God. There are seminarians teaching in seminaries. Your pastors are learning from people who don't even believe in the God that they're teaching. So reading the Bible and understanding the Bible is not the end all be all. But when you have the right posture, reading the Bible is the most critical most important endeavor for every believer because the scriptures, as God says, testifies of him. It's always, it's pointing to Christ. It's knowing the grand story of the Bible that helps you understand every nuance and every verse in the Bible. So it's not just enough for us to like read a verse in the Bible and say, okay, let's study that verse in the Bible. But we have to read a portion of scripture and a verse in light of the totality of the scripture. That's the issue I believe that a lot of Christians fall short in is that they'll do the verse of the day. And that's great and all. I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody who does the verse of the day. Okay. You might do the U version verse of the day and that's cool and all. But if you really want to grow in your faith, faith, you have to actually be exposed to the totality of the scripture or else what you end up becoming is you end up becoming um, a um, an immature believer. And when I say immature, not that you're an immature person, you're an immature believer. Uh, my IG just cut off again. Why is it doing that? Let me try this again. Hold on. I hope, I mean, I hope it saved my other IG broadcasts, but my IG just cut off again. So um, hopefully people will jump on again, but my IG just cut off. So that's unfortunate. Um, Either way. Uh, and so and so it is important. It is critical that you read the entire book. Imagine for a second, because, again, we read the Bible like it's some kind of law book, not a story. We read the Bible as if it's some sort of a legal narrative and not a, a story to understand and to know and to be impacted by. And so when we read the story, when we read the Bible, like it's a bunch of rules, we don't read it within the context that there's a redemptive narrative behind it. Then we, we are, we are okay with reading verse to verse. And then we go sparring verse to verse. And one person argues one point versus another person with another point. And we go through these Bible battles and we, it's always funny uh, when people say, you know, you got to be careful, even when, when we talk about versions of the Bible. I'm sorry, I'm ranting already. But when we talk about even versions of the Bible, we go, well, this is the right version of the scripture. The other ones, there are some versions that are more faithful to the text than other versions. Um, but at the end of the day, the Bible wasn't even codified as verses. Okay, The codification of scripture is a new thing. Uh, it's a fairly new thing that, that existed maybe a few centuries ago. Uh, but before that, the Bible was not split and divided as verses. It was read as a book. It was read as a letter. We're the ones who divided. And it's funny how we take these divided scriptures and then we use them to spar with one another. I find that very interesting. I find that very peculiar, but that's a rant. And that's another conversation for another day. But what's important for every believer is to read the word. You have to read the whole thing. And that's why we're here. That's why we're reading this. That's why we're engaging in this. And so that we read the whole thing. Now, another thing I want you to understand is the Bible because it is spiritual, God is doing something in you as you read it. Okay. And then we're going to get to my point for this text. God is doing something in you and through you as you read it. You're being edified by the spirit of God, by simply disciplining yourself in the reading of the word. 
Did you hear that again? You're being edified by the Spirit of God as you discipline yourself in reading the Word. When you begin to read your Bible every day, I know it sounds like a kiddie thing when it says, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Yes. <laughs> your spirit grows as you read the Word. Simply. Now you say, well, I don't understand what I'm reading. Let me ask you a question. Because there's those of you who you're still wrestling with that. Well, I need to understand everything about the Bible. I need to understand. Let, let me help you, family. Let me help you. Let me help you. Let me help you. When a child eats his mom's dinner or her mom's dinner, does the child is the child overly concerned about all the ingredients in the meal, how the meal was cooked? Everything that's in the meal. Where where did the meal come from? Who inspired this meal? What is the origin of this inspiration for this meal? Break down the meal for me. Does a child sit around and go, I need to figure out how much of each thing there are. The child seek to understand every single thing about the meal. Or does the child simply enjoy the meal? Just enjoy the meal. You see, for many Christians, we don't want to enjoy the meal. <laughs> okay, we we want we we want to know everything and understand it, and we'll get stuck at a certain point in the scripture and go, "I'm stuck here." So because I'm stuck here, I can't go anywhere else. Because we make the Bible something that we ought to simply understand intellectually. But what did the prophet Jeremiah say in Jeremiah 16? He said, "Your words came," and he said, "And I ate them." Your words came and I ate them and they were the joy and rejoicing of my heart. We don't eat the word anymore. We just study it. And that's why I don't want to get into full blown Bible study because I want to show you something. It's calamari. Yes. Um, you were there on Sunday. That's awesome. Um, your words came and I ate them. What we're trying to explain here to you is just the reading and the activity of reading the word builds up your spirit. Want to hear me? Like, like just the activity of reading the word, of eating the word, builds up your spirit. So you might read, some of you just read through numbers with me and you're like, man, I don't understand a single thing that is going on. That's okay. That's, that's not actually the primary intention of the word. Oh, man. Oh, man. I keep getting myself in trouble every time I come on here. But hopefully you guys will stick with me because I know I lose people along the way. But people think that when you read the Bible, you have to understand everything you read. No. No. You need to feed yourself by simply reading the word. And as you read the word, you become transformed by the word. Being transformed by the word is more important to having, than having an understanding of the word. Knowing the word does not deliver you. Having the word in your heart does. Thy word have I hid in my heart, not in my mind, but in my heart, that I may not sin against thee. We need to have the word in our heart. Can I tell you something? Side note, that there are those of us who struggle with sin. Like we know that we're, we're struggling with sin. And for those of us who are struggling with sin, we're like, how do I, how do I get out of this? And, and why do I keep falling into this? And, and yes, God gives grace for that. So this is not a question of whether you go to heaven or not. It's a question of, are you growing in the grace of God? 
And for many people, the reason why they don't grow in the grace of God is because they don't read the word. But I, I will, I will just, just, do, just do a quick evaluation of your spiritual life for a second, okay? See the seasons in your life where you're dealing with sin. Look at the seasons in your life where you just, you keep falling, right? And I promise you, those seasons in your life where you're falling also coincide with the seasons in your life that you're not reading and praying. Did y'all hear that? The seasons in your life where you're falling into continual sin, knowing that you're you're not living in the way that God wants you to live, are gen are generally seasons in your life that you're not reading the Word and praying. It's so simple. People think that you have to think yourself. You gotta think yourself out of sin. <laughs> you gotta think your, you gotta, you know what? Set boundaries. I always hear that. Set boundaries. As if boundaries stop people from sinning. Or 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 set set, you know, like, well, let me, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna distract myself. Find other distractions. Find other things. No, yeah, we ought to flee sin. I get that. We're, we have to flee temptation. I get that. But often. Falling into sin is coinciding with your time not reading the Bible. And watch this. The more you read your word and the more you pray, the more you become like Jesus and grow in the grace of God. So this is just this is just the motivation for many of you, because some of you are even now consumed with guilt and shame because of sin or because of sins that you're committing and because of these things. Well, first of all, the, the, your righteousness is not in your activity or in your behavior. Your righteousness is in Christ and Christ alone. So only Jesus can make you righteous. No, no, no kind of Bible reading or or any kind of, you know, celibacy or staying away from drugs and all those things are what keeps you, uh, 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 you know, that, that, that makes you, you know, righteous. You're not righteous by your works. You're not righteous by anything you do, not by any activity or action you do. You're only righteous in Christ. Only Christ can, it can only be accomplished in Christ. You can't be righteous, but if you're in Christ, that's exactly right. There is no condemnation for you. So therefore then why do we and I'm ranting. I know I'm ranting. Stay with me. I know it's not directly related to this, but I just want to motivate you in the word for a minute. So why then do we want to live lives where we're not sinning? The reason why is because we want to live out of what God accomplished. Does everybody understand that? Like we don't live for God's acceptance. We live out of God's acceptance. We don't, we don't live to not go to hell. Heaven is ours by faith. Okay. So, so we are already righteous in Christ. We don't have to earn our righteousness. Okay. You don't have to earn it. Okay. You don't have to become a better person to be accepted by God. Okay. But because God has accepted you out of that, now you want to live a life that's pleasing to him. So everybody understand that like there's this distinction that we have to make because I believe some people are still wrestling with the performing for God relative to performing through God, performing for grace and performing with grace, grace. Gr think of it like this. Okay. You do not have to perform at all for God. God loved you. Even though you were still a sinner, he died on the cross for you. So therefore, there's nothing you can do on your own to be saved. Okay. Your righteousness is in Christ and it's in Christ alone. Only Jesus can do it for you. Okay. 
All right. I want you to understand that. Okay, family, because there's a lot of people who are really struggling with that. But by, by faith now being in Christ and having no condemnation out of that now, you have a desire to live out what Christ has accomplished. It's like if somebody died for your salvation, now you're just compelled to live for him. Right? You're compelled to live a life that's worthy of what Jesus did for you. But you don't live going, man, I better make sure I don't cuss somebody out today. Or maybe right now, you know, you're living with somebody and you're not married and you know it's not right. And your soul and your spirit's telling you it's not right. And you're thinking, man, you know, ah, maybe we need to get married so that God can love us. No, God loves you in, in that situation. Okay, he, he loves you so much while you were in sin that he died for you and he died for that. There's not one sin that Jesus did not die for, okay? He died for all sin. So you've been freed of that. Are you hearing me, TikTok? I know I got 233 of y'all on here, okay? And I hope y'all catching it. I hope you guys are catching it. That you're free from all of that. You don't have to earn God's love. God loved you before you could have ever earned it. Before the foundation of the world, he already knew you. So you, you're already affirmed and loved by God simply by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. But out of that affirmation now, you want to live for him. It's like when you love somebody, what do you want to do? You want to please them, right? Like when you love somebody, what do you want to do? You, you begin to want what they want, right? You, you're living now out of the freedom. So think of grace and think of the love of God as the freedom to fully enjoy God. Okay, and so these things that we do get in the way of that. And this is why we need to read the word. Isn't it funny that just like Adam and Eve, when we sin, you notice God doesn't ever leave us. We're the ones who distance ourselves from him. At the garden, God didn't leave Adam. Adam left God at the garden when Adam sinned. Y'all realize that, right? Like, remember that in Genesis chapter three, after Adam's sin, it was God that reached out to Adam. And it was God that said, Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? God was still seeking after Adam, even after Adam sinned. So what sin does is it, it makes us, it distances us from God. That's what it does. And so when we find ourselves not really spending time in his presence, that's when we find ourselves struggling with sin. And this is why reading his word is so critical. I'm sorry. I know I was ranting on that and I know I belabored the point, but I believe it's very important because nobody reads the Bible to go to heaven. You don't read the Bible to go to heaven. You don't pray in order to go to heaven. Okay. That's not why we do this. We read the Bible to get to know the person who loved us so much. We get to heaven to get to know, sorry, we read the Bible so that we can know God and to know Jesus Christ. That's why we read the Bible. Read the Bible, it's, it's, like, it's like going on a date, <laughs> okay? Why, why do you go on dates? After we're married, why do we have to go on dates? We're married, I got the bag. Because you wanna get to know the person. You go on dates because you're still in a season of discovery. Even when you get married, you're still discovering that person. And so you wanna spend time with them. That's how this works, family. And that's why we read.
Ah, uh, I only got like 10 minutes. Okay, so l- let me just give you a few things and then I want to point one thing out that I noticed in this text. I want you to remember now that when we're reading the Bible, we need to read the Bible in light of a grand story. We, ha- we need to read this text in light of a grand narrative, okay? Uh, we don't read the Bible like it's a bunch of rules that Christians ought to follow in order to be good Christians. More importantly, Notice what's happening here. As we're reading, we've read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and now we're reading through Numbers. Notice these books that we're reading here were not written to us. They were written. They were not written to us. Okay. The laws that we're reading in this scripture and in this text are not laws that are written to us so that we can legally be called Christians. Okay. These books that we're reading are narrating a law in a relationship that God is cultivating with a particular family, with a particular group of people, with a particular, exactly right. It isn't written to us, but it's written for us. How is it written for us? That's what we're getting to understand. Because now, knowing the law and knowing what God asked of these people, now we begin to understand the character of God, the heart of God, and we begin to know what God was actually accomplishing, (laughs) okay, through this family of people. I say that because, right, Genesis. Um, we get to numbers and in numbers, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Go back to a previous read and rant and, and, and you can catch some of the other stuff that I've been ranting about, but the 10 commandments were not written to Christians. Okay. All these laws were not written to us. Now I want to make sure y'all understand this as well, family. Okay. Think about this. Okay. You guys gonna have to give me some time. Okay. Give me another like 20, 30 minutes. Um, Cause I want to make sure I get my point, but I want to make sure I'm, I'm going to keep beating this down because I got to get all the religiosity out of, out of, out of Christians. <laughs> okay. So, um, if the 10 commandments were somehow a set of rules that Christians had to follow in order to be good Christians, why the 10 commandments and not the other books that uh, not the other laws that we see in the text. Why not the atonement laws? Why not the sacrificial laws? Why did we choose the 10 commandments that we read in Exodus 20 and not the remaining laws that were actually in that same portion of scripture? Why is it that we don't follow those laws? Why did we choose the Ten Commandments over the other ones? We can get into a whole conversation about how the church had adopted the Ten Commandments as a law or as some kind of legal system for Christians to follow, um, some kind of basis or benchmark for morality. Uh, But the Hebrews did not understand it that way. And even the early Christians did not understand it that way. Okay. The Ten Commandments were not written to Christians to follow in order to be good Christians. It is a law. What does it mean for it to be a law? We cannot emphasize this again. 
we cannot look at the law as we have a let me back that up we have a westernized perspective of the bible and that in and of itself is a problem our westernized perspective of the bible leads us to interpret the scriptures with the improper lens we interpret the scripture as if it applies through our own cultural lens and cultural experience and cultural way of thinking when it was written by eastern people through an eastern lens the law for us was not the law for them the way we understand the law in the west is not the way the law was understood in the east we understand the law as some kind of legal system as some kind of set of rules that when you break those rules you go to jail when you disobey those rules you go to jail or you get punished so we take that kind of thinking and we bring it out west uh, we we bring that kind of western thinking into and we superimpose it onto the text so when we look and we see the 10 commandments we read it and then we go if i break that law then i go to spiritual jail our form of spiritual jail is hell you break the law you go to hell you obey the law you go to heaven good thing first of all the law wasn't written to us second of all the law wasn't the law as we understand it as sorry as they understand it as the easterners understood it as a hebrew person would understand it as an israelite would understand it as someone from the east would understand it the law was understood as a system that all things were subject to Okay? Just like gravity, you can't break gravity, but there's a law of gravity. You can't break magnetism, and yet there are magnetic laws. There are scientific laws that we cannot break. It's a system that we are all confined to, that we are all subject to. This law is a revelation of what shapes us out to being who we are. This law is not about what we break, what we follow and don't follow, but rather about what embodies the character of God. The law simply reveals the heart and the character of God in relation to us. So you can't let's put it like this. Can you break gravity? Tell me somebody who broke gravity. Okay? You say, "Well, this is gra- gravity defying." Um, we can't defy gravity. Okay? You can't defy gravity, okay? So, if you can't defy gravity and you don't follow it and obey it, it has consequences. It has consequences on physically. In the same way, the law is a law that tells us about what the consequences are spiritually but it's not about whether you go to heaven or not see everybody understand that we got to get out of this legal way of thinking okay we got to get out of this legal way of thinking it's not which laws do i obey which laws do i break does this law apply does that law apply it's a system and so first of all these laws were not instituted to us but rather they were revealed to the children of God because they were called as a nation of priests to show the world what God is like 
And so we get to this portion of this text. And when we get to this portion of the text, remember, none of this was written to us, but it's written for us. And now we see this law. We see this law that's, that's, that's being further uh, unpacked, further unpacked. The law started with the Ten Commandments. I was like the preamble. And then we see it unpacking and unpacking. We see um, the purity laws and, and we see the, 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 the sacrificial laws and we see these ceremonial laws and, and all these laws that these children are following. Okay. All these children are following these laws because they're subject to it. If they ought to be shaped out to be this nation of priests. Notice God subjected them to it and not to anyone else. Notice that they were the children who were chosen by God to be the nation of people that would show and reveal what God would like. They would be the imagers of God. What Adam could not be, God is shaping them out to be through his law. And yet they disobeyed the law and in disobeying the law, he brought also the law of atonement. The things that they would do in order for a holy and unrighteous people who continually disobey the law to remain in the presence of God. It's the force that keeps them up. If you talk about gravity, it's the force that keeps them standing. It was the atonement. And now in numbers, they're on the move. We know what happens as they were on the move. Some had to stay behind because again, we don't have time to, to break all of it down. But we know that the, the, the generation that went into the wilderness will not be the generation that goes into Canaan. Because again, they complained and they complained and they complained. What I find interesting, and I just don't have time to break all of it down. So I'm just going to talk about what sticks out to me. I could be here all day. You guys don't have all day. I unfortunately don't either because I have to leave in a few. But I want to leave you with one thought. And we're just gonna, I'll just continue to break this down for you guys. I'll continue to work this for you guys. But I want to leave one thought for you guys. Uh, and I hope, I hope this is helping you. This may make some of you uncomfortable, okay? Okay? Um, but I hope it's helping you. We see a further, uh, um, we, we see the law being unpacked here. Okay? In Numbers chapter, uh, oh man, Numbers chapter 25 is a crazy story. But I, that's not where the Lord was taking me today. Um, we see the census in Numbers 26, right? This new counting of the new people who would actually go into the promised land because the uh, prior generation would not, not because of their unfaithfulness to God, but because of their unbelief. Did you hear that? Unbelief is what kept them from going into the land that was promised to them. Okay. And so now there's another generation that will be provided the opportunity now to go into the promised land. Remember, they are the ones that are going to usher the kingdom of God. They're going to be the representatives of God. And so Numbers 26 is the census. It's the counting of these people. And in verse 51, it says, these are those, remember, it's iterating all the families. It's telling you all the categories and all the families and all that. And then in verse 51, these are those 
who were numbered of the children of Israel, uh, 600 and 601,730. I find that interesting that there's about the same number of people, if not slightly less people than there were before who were within the age group that could be counted as members or counted as part of the military census. Remember, this census is not, this is not the number of all the people, but the number of people who can go and fight. It was a military census, males 20 years and above. And then in verse 65, it says, for the Lord had said to them, this is the people from the generation before, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not, a, not left a man of them, except who? Caleb and Joshua. Everybody else would not get to see the land that was promised, except for the two men who faithfully believed in God, who believed in the promise. And then the inheritance laws. We see a, a, we see a further embellishing of the law. We see the inheritance laws are being instituted. And then... And after the inheritance laws, we see that Joshua now is being instituted as the next leader who would lead the people into the wilderness. He was inaugurated. They laid hands on him and they acknowledged him. And then we get to Numbers 28. And Numbers 28, we see now a law of offering. There were daily offerings. There were weekly offerings. There were monthly offerings. Stay with me now, family. We talk about all the laws that we ought to follow, like the Ten Commandments. What about these laws? What about the daily offerings? What about the weekly Sabbath offerings? What about the Sabbath? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we be setting the Sabbath aside? We read the law of the Sabbath as if it is a law that is written to us, not a law that is written for us, interestingly enough. The Sabbath offerings. And then you had the monthly offerings. And then after the monthly offerings, then there were the periodic offerings, the Feast of Weeks. Then there was the Feast of Trumpets. Then there was the Day of Atonement. Then there was the Feast of Tabernacles. Then, so there were all these feasts, Feasts of Weeks, Feast of Trumpets, Feast of Tabernacles, Day of Atonement, weekly, uh, sorry, daily offering, weekly offering, monthly offering. I'm reading this and I'm asking myself as I'm reading it, Lord, what are you saying to me today? Remember, if you leave with anything today, and I hope this is a word of conviction for you, but notice that these people who are the nation of priests, who were chosen by God to reveal to the rest of the world what God was like, these people lived a peculiar life. They lived a peculiar life. They were different. God said to them, be holy for I am holy. He set them aside. He said, be set apart for I am set apart. I'm, I'm not like anything. And so if you're going to represent me, you will not be like anyone. And with all that we see here, there's two things that stick out to me. Is the Lord had them live 
a life of continual sacrifice. One of the things that embodies a peculiar people is a life of continual sacrifice. As I was reading, I was like, God, what are you saying to me? I'm praying and I'm reading because that's how we should always read. That's how we ought to read the scriptures is to hear from God. And I'm hearing from God and I'm looking, I'm saying, man, this is a lot of work. This is a lot of work, God. Like you had these people working every day. They had to give a sacrifice, food offerings, grain offering, male, uh, lamb offering, goat offering, sin offering, all these offerings. And then there was a weekly one too, God. The weekly one too, that there was a burnt offering for the Sabbath in addition to the regular burnt offering. And then there are the monthly offerings. I got a, I got a monthly one too to think about. The, imagine if you were, if you were an Israelite, thank God we're not under that. We have something better than the Israelites. We'll get to that in a minute. We have something better than them. But imagine that you are these people who are called to, to, to be set apart from the rest of the world. And yet what sets you apart from the rest of the world is that you practiced daily sacrifice. I think about it, I go, man, that's a lot of goats that had to go. A lot of sheep that had to go. <laughs> a lot of rams that had to go. There was a lot of flour that was just given away as offering every day. A lot of blood had to be shed on a daily basis. It was morbid. Every day, blood offerings, goat offerings, every day, every month, an additional one, every, 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 every week, and, an, and another one on top of that. Imagine how much blood was shed on a daily basis. That's exactly right, Trap. On a daily basis, they were giving. This is not a wealthy people. Imagine how much money was gone and, and how much blood was shed and how morbid this was. And these people had to live. This was the life. This is what the life of distinction was for them. The life of distinction was characterized by daily monthly, weekly, yearly, quarterly, trimester sacrifices. Sacrifice on top of sacrifice, on top of sacrifice, on top of sacrifice, on top of sacrifice. And yet now God who calls us as a priesthood, who calls all who believe in him as a nation of priests, we have something better than them. We don't have to give the daily blood sacrifice for our sins. Notice some of the sacrifices weren't even for their sins, simply for gratitude, simply for the acknowledging that they've been set apart, simply to be chosen by God. They made these sacrifices. Not all the sacrifices were made for sin. A lot of the sacrifices were made just as a daily thank you. And yet they gave a sacrifice daily, daily gave sacrifices for their sins, for their families. And I, and, and, and when I think about it today, I realize there are a lot of us that don't realize because we're not subject to this. We have something better than this. We have a sacrifice. And this sacrifice required no more sacrifice. The perfect priest gave the perfect sacrifice himself. 
And we don't have to live under these rules because Hebrews teaches us that we're not under this anymore, that we don't have to serve this. We were never actually under it. Only Hebrews was written to the, it's funny, Hebrews was written to the, the children of Israel who were under the law. But anybody who was outside of it was never under the law, meaning you were never actually under the law. And yet he's telling them now, you along with the rest of the world are not under the law, but you're under grace. That now you get to enjoy and experience a sacrifice that needs not more and additional sacrifices. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. We can come with the one mediator between God and man who was also our sacrifice. We have something better than a goat. We have something better than a ram. We have something better than a lamb. We have Jesus. We have Jesus. And yet, do we live that sacrifice every day? Do we have the same kind of cognizance as the children of Israel? Do we do we live daily sacrificing of ourselves? Living a life of sacrifice, is that something we actually live? Does that embody us? I'm, I'm reading this and I'm wondering, I, I, I'm talking, I'm just reading for myself, fam. I'm just sharing you with you what the Lord is really convicting me of. Today, as I'm reading this scripture, is it's almost annoying reading this. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm slightly annoyed as I read this because I'm going, this is annoying, man. They have to do this every day. They have to do this every week, every month. Why? This, is, this just seems like a lot. And yet that's what God asked of them because that's what set them apart from the rest of the world. What sets us apart is our love for the world and our daily commitment to sacrifice. No, it's not by works. It's Kiki. We don't remember what I said. This is not for our salvation. We don't live for our salvation. We, we don't we don't work and we don't do anything for us. Our, our salvation is ours, but we live out of our salvation. Is if God has set me aside, then I'm I'm convicted. I should be convicted, right? If God if 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 God loved me so much that he gave his life for me. Then I I should be compelled to lay my life for others. I should be compelled to live a life of, of daily sacrifice. It tells Paul, Paul, Paul opens up his letter. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. To God. I don't have to earn salvation, but I live out of that salvation. And yet I'm compelled by the love of God and out of the love of God to be a different person. To be a person that doesn't live a life that's seeking what's best for himself. That's right, DJ Master. It's exactly right is we're, we're living out of the salvation of God. We're living out of the status that we have. Like, wow, like God loved me so much that he took me in and I need not perform at all for him. But now that I'm here and now that I'm in his house, man, I just want to be better. 
And I don't want to be better so that he can accept me. I want to be better because he has. I don't want to, I don't want to live for his acceptance. But man, if he laid down his life, I want to live a life worthy of what Jesus did for me. Does that make sense? Do, do we live our lives worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made? Like, does it look like it? <laughs> I know I'm closing and I know I'm, I'm, I'm ranting a little bit, but you guys are used to that. I think about just people who've given their lives for other people. Oh yeah, we fall short every day. We fall short. <laughs> We're always going to fall short, but it should never change how we want to live. Right? Like I fall short. I'm falling short right now in this moment. I fell short yesterday and I'm going to fall short moving forward, but it does not change my desire. Not, I don't do it out of guilt and shame. I do it out of the love of God. Like I want to, I want to live a life worthy of your sacrifice. Like I want, I want to live a life where people go, man, Jesus did a lot for that person. Like, like living a life worthy of what he did exactly. Like if, if, if somebody jumped in front of a bus to save my life and they gave their life for me and they look at me and they say, hey, live a life, like earn this. I gave it all for you and I'm about to die. Imagine their dying words was just earn this. Like, like live a life worthy of this. Just live a life worthy of it. I've already given my life for you. You get to live now. Remember what I did for you. Wouldn't it change how you live? Right? Like, let's think about it. If a father of three kids jumped in front of a bus for you, gave up all of that, wouldn't you want to get to know who their children are? Wouldn't you want to live a life to say, hey, I know what your dad did for me. And I want to prove to him and what he did. That I want to live a life worthy of the sacrifice that he made. I will not let him down. I'm going to do everything I can to live a life worthy of what he did. That's all it is. We're not earning salvation, but let's live out the salvation. Let's live out what God... Let's be as these children who live lives of continual sacrifice. Like that's, this, is, this is the character of God. This is what, what God sees in his people. He wants people to live in this way. Not so they can go to heaven, but because heaven is theirs. I love you guys. I love you, fam. But this is my word of conviction. It's a word of conviction for me. And I pray that it will be a word of conviction for you. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us in this time, Lord God, that you would continue to speak through what we're reading here, Father. Teach us, Lord, Lord, to live lives worthy of your sacrifice, Lord. But we know we have something better than the sacrifices that we see here. We know we're not under this law. We know we don't need to perform for you and we don't need to um, enter into your presence. You've given us all of you so that we can be joined with you. And we know that. But Lord, as we uh, proceed in this day, Father, Lord, just... Teach us, 
Or teach us in our everyday activity, Lord, to be reminded of the sacrifice that you made, that we didn't have to make sacrifices anymore, but to just live lives of sacrifice to you and to those around you. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen.